small-scale farming in the European Union, youth voices from the ground. Farming in Europe is increasingly dominated by monocultures and factory farming. What does it mean to be a young small-scale farmer in this context? How can they get the power and resources to produce and distribute food sustainably? Here comes an interview with three young farmers who want to produce food differently. This podcast episode is funded by the IMCAP program of the European Union. The content of this podcast represents the views of the author only and is their sole responsibility. The European Commission does not accept any responsibility for use that may be made of the information it contains. My name is Clara Bourgin. I am a campaigner at Friends of the Earth Europe and today we will be listening to the voices of young farmers in Europe and their views on the European Union agricultural policies. Two years ago, in 2020, the European Union introduced the Farm to Fork strategy, a set of policy objectives devoted to reforming Europe's food system to meet the EU Green Deal goals. And a year later, in 2021, the EU promised a new greener and fairer common agricultural policy, CAP. The CAP is the most important agricultural policy of the European Union, determining the funding priorities for food production. Introduced 60 years ago, it has mainly supported the intensification of agriculture to the benefit of agribusinesses and large-scale farms over small-scale food producers in nature. As EU governments currently draft their strategy for how to nationally implement the new CAP, we interviewed young farmers from three different countries in Europe, Sweden, Denmark and Malta, to ask them about their farming experience, what brought them into agriculture, how European policies actually impact their work, and how they see the future of food and farming. All of them have different stories, backgrounds and perspectives, but they do share one important thing, a common desire to do good in the world. First, there is Lynn, who works in a small community-supported agriculture farm an hour outside of Copenhagen. She became a farmer after volunteering for Friends of the Earth Denmark and visiting farms around the country. And I think I realized that people actually lived in the countryside because I grew up in the city. The people lived here and they had really wonderful lives and they were outside all the time. And also the fact that you can actually do good with farming, that you can let, I feel like in the rest of the rest of things I could do, I would either do like make the world worse than if I haven't done it or like I would go in like zero I wouldn't make it any better, but I wouldn't make it any worse. I feel like that's that's the best you can do with energy, for instance, or like, and with farming, I actually I found out that I can make something better, and I find found that very appealing. And then I started on like a very short education, and then I ended up here at the farm, and now I'm on like a more serious education in regenerative agriculture. Maximilian from Sweden started farming after getting into contact with Nordbrook, a Swedish organization of small-scale farmers which is part of the international peasant movement La Via Campesina, bringing together millions of peasants, small and medium-sized farmers and agricultural workers all around the world. I've always had the interest in agriculture, so I started uh, uh, studying horticulture and at that time I 
came into contact with the Lavia Campesina and uh, and the Nordbrook, the Swedish organization which I'm now part of. But that uh, at that time I contacted the the, the organization uh, Nordbrook and asked if they wanted to speak at the university uh, for the students, um, which uh, which they did, and uh, their then um, chair of the organization uh, Torgny Östling. He came and uh, had a lecture, and we became very good friends. And uh, so um, uh, that was like three years ago. And now I actually live um, at his farm, although he passed away a year ago. But I became a good friend uh, with the with the family. So now I'm here in the middle of Sweden. It's what you say, quite cold, quite uh, quite cold, and quite long vin- winters, but. Uh, very nice uh, soil and uh, climate and uh, I grow um, I started this year growing um, vegetables and potatoes um, quite uh, small scale but we will see this first year Finally, Kane and Cassandra are running a small farm project in Malta called Biome Munch which tries to look at food in a holistic way Their project initially started as a business to provide healthy baking before they decided to transition to growing food. Biomunch was founded as a business that provided healthy baking. Um, and myself and Cassandra ran the business for a short period before we realized that um, we're promoting health, but at the same time not promoting health of the planet because the ingredients that we used in our baking Um, was not uh, locally sourced and it was very difficult to locally source certain ingredients um, so we sat down and reevaluated our business um, we did eating fully local and we saw what challenges there were to, to get hold of fresh healthy produce and we kind of decided that moving forward since, since my family has some agricultural land here in Malta. Moving forward, we would produce healthy food instead that, that doesn't need packaging, it needs containment and to our clients. And then we take the containers back and week, week after week, we would refill. We decided to become farmers, not because um, we were inspired to be, become farmers by other people, but because we felt that it's needed. Um, and since my family had some land and most of my family are retired now, we decided that it's the right time to start growing food, which uh, in true style of ourselves had to be healthy and therefore had to be grown in an ecologic way. But how does the EU actually help and support farmers like Kane, Cassandra, Maximilian and Lynn practice a sustainable and small-scale farming. How is their work impacted by EU policies, in particular by the CAP? The CAP, which was last updated in 2021, uses up more than a third of the EU's total budget and will distribute nearly 270 billion euros to over 6 million farmers in the next five years. But none of these young farmers actually receive subventions from the CAP since the threshold for the size of farm needed to receive funding is too high. Maximilian explains. No, that's right. I don't get any subsidies. We have in Sweden, we have a very unusually high um, uh, threshold for how many hectares you have to have. 
uh, to get cap subsidies. And in Sweden, that is four hectares. And um, that we don't grow. We grow on a bit over a quarter of a hectare right now in the beginning, this first year. And it's a similar situation for Lynn. Because we only grow two or three hectares, it doesn't really make sense because all the, the time we would use and um, applying for the subsidies, we would like... We would get so little subsidies that the time we used for it would be more or less useless. Or like, we could pay someone to do it, and then we could pay their salary, and that would be the subsidies that we got. I mean, it wouldn't really make sense. Ken and Cassandra cultivate on small amounts of land that are also not owned by them. We don't receive any subsidies because um, we don't own any land. Um, we're farmers without land. We work land which is vacant so we're not really in the farming community where we receive subsidies we just receive the profits from our labor which is more than enough Gain also highlights the specific situation of Malta compared to the rest of the European Union all of them express concerns in the way the cap subsidies are distributed the more land farmers own the more subsidies they get as Maximilian tells us the cap is one important driver of uh, this industrial farming and concentration of land and speculation of land and simply just the worsening conditions for good sustainable agroecological farming, which we talk about in in Nordburg and Levia Campus. You know, some of the subsidies are simply necessary to keep the farming going in the country. And that is, if we got rid of it just like that, it would have very negative consequences. But we know also that um, the cap subsidies, they are like um, trying to compensate for these other economic legislation that compensates that we have uh, this uh, free trade and the free speculation. So we give some subsidies for the farmers so they, they can keep going a little bit and then they can supply produce for the industries and uh, uh, for the food processing industries and be consumers of uh, the farming input like the fertilizers and pesticides and the tractors and so on. Lynn believes the cap can have a role to play. But for that, the criteria to get subsidies should be radically changed. I think it could be a very powerful tool to change things and to put a lot of money into agriculture that we believe that we can actually use also in 50 years so that takes care of the soil so that we can use the soil in 50 years. So I think it has a lot of potential. It's not that I don't believe in subsidies, but I think that the way that they're put out in the world is very, like, how they're Um, distributed is very bad. The more land you have, the more money you get. It's like, that's not the right way to do it. I think we could use it a lot more to make people take care of the soil. Similarly for Maximilian, the cap needs to be reshaped. You should get subsidies depending on how you need subsidies and uh, how much and, uh, and why. Do you need subsidies to get started and so on? And um, of course there is that some, to some degree, but it is also coupled with the, this other uh, threshold, so four hectares and so on, I think. And the difficulty of accessing the land to begin with makes it even harder for young farmers to practice their profession, as Ken explains. So our future isn't secured as farmers, actually. We might be farmers just temporarily, um, because the land that we work, we don't really own, uh, or we don't have any right to at all. So yeah, it's, it's uh, the sad reality of a local farmer here in Malta, really. If you don't really own land, 
then there are the the other farmers the own land and don't want to be farmers because of the challenges the uh, finances bring being a farmer you know you, you have to have a certain lifestyle you know you, you cannot live yet cast said the city life you cannot expect to buy a house and pay for a mortgage consistently from farming um in in the current model and the current way things are um but that's why me and Cass are trying to sort of find a different way to market our own product and and find a, a different solution to farming you know and to make it successful because at the end of the day everybody needs to eat and everybody should have the right to earn a decent wage and have fair working conditions but for small scale farmers this is far from reality Lynn and Kane share with us what kind of support would make the cap more meaningful. No one who is growing vegetables small scale in Denmark earn any money that like looks like a salary of the rest of the population. But also I think a lot of money could be put into uh, more research to find out like what works, what doesn't work and how can we how can we grow uh, not only vegetables but also Uh, fruits and plant proteins, lentils and beans, and also uh, grains in a way that is more um, regenerative. I would like the more land is made available to farmers, young farmers, and and that let's say for instance, um, there there are college courses in agriculture now, and you you, you can you can go and study about it. There should be some sort of a package where these young individuals that maybe don't have access to land can can have land um, passed over to them, especially government land passed over to them to have the opportunity to farm, you know. Um, because the future as it stands now um, is going one way. It's um, it's actually declining. So as as old farmers are retiring, young farmers aren't replacing them. And generally speaking, what happens is the land is uh, is res- resorts to being used to grow fodder, so animal feed, um, which is good because we we need the animal industry to thrive too. But at the same time, um, Malta is very uh, productive in terms of fruits and vegetables, and that land's not being utilized, or the resource on that land's not being utilized. Um, I do see a lot. I do meet a lot of youth and children, and uh, we we do talks with schools and th- things like this. And I I do see a lot of excitement around the industry, but at the same time, the the experienced people, the older farmers, are telling the young people not to farm rather than to try it out, and they're doing this because they have bad experiences with the industry especially where produce is thrown away, for example, at the local market. So what happens is, um, obviously, you'd listen to your elders. They're discouraged, although they're very excited about the the industry. They're discouraged and then they don't take the industry up. A lot of them are encouraged to go to school and study law and uh, to become a doctor or whatever, really. Um, anything but farming. Even when I go to the coffee shop, All the all the local guys know that myself and Cassandra are farmers, but they tell us you're crazy. Um, how can you earn money from this? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there are people that acknowledge that, that we're doing good work, but they acknowledge us as if we're a charitable case, you know, like we're doing something, um, uh, like we're, sacri- we're sacrificing our life and running an NGO full-time. That, that's how they see us, you know. Um, and and uh, to be honest, they, they grew up growing food themselves and they, they've been so disappointed uh, by how the system is, how their products are marketed and stuff like this. The, the, this is where it comes from, you know. But it's obviously it's a very unhealthy thing to be happening in, in, in the community because uh, the farming community is, as I say, a community. And the skills and knowledge that, that people have is always passed from generation to the next. Uh, because if I was to go and try and grow vegetables in Russia, I'd probably find it very difficult. And if somebody from Russia came here, they would probably find it difficult. So the skills and the knowledge has to be shared by the local people, you know, um, which luckily I had the opportunity to to have growing up from my aunties and uncles. You know, I'd always go to the farm and learn something new or I'd go and help them out with the harvest and they'd teach me new skills, you know, but Unfortunately, there are, there are not many people my age and younger that, that have these acquired skills. A feeling nuanced by Lynn. We have an, an organization that organizes farms that looks like ours. So actually we have a lot of um, sharing of experiences with them and also just the social and knowing that we are not the only one doing this and that a lot of more, a lot more people actually believe this is the right way to do it, and I also I feel like more and more people are getting to know about regenerative agriculture and also small scale farming, and that's believing in it. I, I feel like I feel like it's going in the right direction, and that more we more and more people are doing this and believing in this. So I feel a very strong there's a very strong uh, community around it, which is really nice. Despite little support from the European Union for young small-scale farmers that are working hand-in-hand with nature, a movement is growing, demanding food to be considered as a right, not a commodity. A movement for food sovereignty. Before we conclude this podcast, here are a few recommendations for more information on the issues raised by our guests. Friends of the Earth Europe published a new report providing an assessment of the CAP national strategic plans for seven EU member states. The analysis, called CAP strategic plans, Green Deal or No Deal, is available on Friends of the Earth website at friendsoftheearth.eu. And if you want to learn more about food sovereignty and how neoliberalization affects agriculture, check out Back to Basics, A Step Forward, written by Torgny Osling, former chair of Nordbrook, the Swedish member organization of La Vie Campesina. To access the book, contact Nordbrook at nordbrook.viacampesina at gmail.com. <laughs>